Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon and welcome to The Heretic Show. It is a strange and snowy day today. Uh, this is Tuesday the 6th of April with some unusual weather over the weekend. Uh, I hope you've all had a pleasant Easter weekend and uh, lovely to welcome you all back to the show. Um, today, my guest is a gentleman I have met only once before. Uh, it is my great pleasure to introduce onto the show Mr. Mark Boulet. Good afternoon, Tom. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Mark, am, I, am I pronouncing that correctly? Boulet? You are indeed, yes. It's a, a French French surname. My father hails from the Seychelles of all places, so, okay. uh, so that's where it comes from. Uh, it is a shame that today you cannot inform us about the Seychelles and about France, but <laughs> instead we have uh, a slightly different topic for everybody. Um, I think maybe it would be best just to maybe explain how we met and perhaps go from there. Indeed, yes. So quite by chance is the answer. As, uh, as you say, Tom, we've met now twice pr uh, prior to about half an hour ago, only once before. Mm -hmm. And we met in Bond Square, which is a large square in the centre of Oxford for those of your listeners who haven't been here before. Mm -hmm. um, Bond Square has become something of the centre of anti-lockdown campaigning in the city of Oxford and, and the county of Oxfordshire. Myself and, and a number of others who've been leading this campaign have been in Bond Square nearly every Saturday, for some of them for longer than, than I have. They began in June last year. Mm -hmm. I've been involved with them since about November 2020. But they have heroically been there every Saturday, more or less, for almost a year now, uh, with a gazebo and signs and, and just giving people a chance to vent their frustration and, and to come and talk to us and to find out some of what we know and we have to say about what the, the, the cost of lockdowns, the disproportionate approach to them. So anyway, mm. we were busily doing that, finding our own business a few Saturdays ago, and suddenly my host here hoves into view and comes to have a chat and uh, blow me down. It seemed like we were on the same page, uh, as far as you can when you're standing outside and keeping an eye out for roving police community support officers. It, it felt mm. like we hit it off and, and felt the same way. And you mentioned that you record a podcast, and I thought this was a, a perfect opportunity to come and uh, try to spread the message. And, and hopefully a few people will listen and will understand and will, will have their eyes open to what's going on in the country at the moment. Um, I, I think that's a very good, good <coughs> summation. And there's a few things in there that were surprising. One is that, talking about last June, that's a long time. Time has time flown by quickly. The fact that you guys have been actively out there protesting since basically last summer, this, is, uh, this has become, you know, I, I hate to use the phrase new normal, but it's, it's been quite a while, hasn't it, since this all begun? It has. Well, of course, it was only last no not last week the week before mm -hmm. that we hit the the one year anniversary the 23rd of march uh 2020 when of course the first uk lockdown was announced yeah um, flattening the curve indeed for, uh, yes for three weeks yeah um and in fact we we held a I, I think it was really quite moving actually we held a just a short vigil it lasted for all of half an hour in bond square on the 23rd of march 2021 mm. to mark one year since these punishing and, and brutal and frankly unnecessary lockdowns were enacted. And to remember, you know, of course, I'm aware of the, the figures of 100 and approaching 130,000 people who have died with or of or something mm -hmm. COVID uh, within 28 days of a positive test. Now, 
the recording of death figures is a whole separate topic you could spend hours on mm-hmm. that but sure george floyd notable notable covid casualty yeah. <laughs> absolutely yeah um, I do not mean that. Sorry, that that might sound facetious. <laughs> I, I mean that purely, to, I guess, to make a comment about the recording method, not not to be flippant about the death of a man. But but you know, no, no. But I, I totally understand, and and we we know. I mean, there have been. I will just touch on it in the sense that we know there have been any number of cases of people going into hospital suffering from some completely unrelated ailment, mm. and almost inevitably whilst in hospital they are tested repeatedly they come into contact with care staff with nurses mm-hmm. with other people who perhaps do have covid um and or, they are can... placed on ventilators yeah. which in the early days of covid i mean it's <clears throat> dramatic to call it a death sentence yeah. but as soon as you get put on one of those things your odds of getting through the week are drastically drastically diminished exactly. i'd say between the way that people were treated in care homes and the ventilators. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's, it's a shocking... I, I think you could make a case for a, a human rights crisis. I mean, mass murder. I mean, it's not too melodramatic in places like New York to talk about that. I think. I, I totally agree. And But the upshot is, of course, that people then who are in hospital with, as I say, some unrelated ailment contract COVID. Yeah. And even if it's a mild case and it doesn't have any direct bearing on their on their ultimate demise... We know that doctors and, and, uh, and coroners and so on are under instruction to put down COVID as, if not the main cause of death, an underlying yes. cause of death. So these, these figures are quite uh, extraordinary and have been inflated to a, a colossal degree. It is true that the whole world is using this measure of within 28 days of a positive mm. test, and I don't know who decided that although that was a even good to idea, butt in but... and there's, there's there's going to be a lot of granularity and i want to keep things moving today and yeah. not get too so... and by the way neither, neither of us are medical professionals no, no, i can't speak for you um you no know... I'm, I'm not but i have i have spent a lot of time in the last uh, 12 months reading deeply about this we've all to some extent become yes, amateur everyone's an amateur virologist, virologist right? exactly people talking about herd immunity um, and uh, yeah yeah but i i think if you as i did if you start from the premise that Something about this doesn't smell right. You know, we, we have never, lockdown has never been tried in human history before. Um, it, up until the 16th of March in the UK, 16th of March 2020, that is, we had a pandemic preparedness plan. It was written in 2011. It specifically rejected mm. the concept of shutting healthy people in their homes and it didn't use the phrase lockdown because that hadn't been invented, but it specifically rejected what we now know as the concept of lockdown. Which is quarantining the healthy as Precisely. opposed to quarantining the sick, which is a time-honored tradition of containment of epidemic disease, right? And, exactly. And that's fundamentally what we're talking about. Is yeah. not. I don't think anyone's here is opposed to uh, people with the plague staying in their house. I think no. probably a lot of people would agree that sick people should be quarantined. They should. Well, and, and the natural human reaction, I mean, I, fortunately yeah. I have never had flu i hear from those who have that mm-hmm. flu is a, a really nasty brutish thing to to contract and if you do the last thing you want to do is leave your house you right. stay in bed right. you know so that's anyway yeah um but i just i digressed slightly to to come back to what i was saying about the vigil so what we wanted to do in holding that vigil was to mark a year since these lockdowns were enacted and and to think about all of those whose lives have been 
cut short, not by COVID, but by the effects of lockdown, mm. whose relation, you know, not even people necessarily who've died, but who've been affected in other ways, whose relationships have been broken apart, who's, who have lost friends, who have lost their livelihoods because they can't work, yeah. um, whose education has suffered. You know, we all remember the scandal of the A-level results. Uh, mm. What did they call it? An, an uh, algorithm last year. Um, those unfortunate students who've gone up to university to have what's supposed to be the time of their lives yep. and instead have been sort of locked in their staircase or, or house or, or accommodation block or whatever and not, aren't able to leave or go anywhere. So we were thinking of those people and it was a very moving event. We had 30 to 40 people turn up and in fact, others came to talk to us afterwards to find out, you know, what's been astonishing is despite all of our efforts, the case against lockdowns just, it's been a combination of sort of suppressed yes. protests have been violently broken up in, in London and in other places. Um, those scientists and experts of whom, believe me, there are plenty yeah. who feel that there is another way yeah. to handle something like this, this uh, COVID-19 virus have been routinely censored suppressed their accounts blocked even if only temporarily but their accounts blocked on twitter mm. on youtube yes uh videos and and interviews and so on taken down because they i see this all the time such and such a video from for example professor carl hennigan who mm. is right here in oxford he's part of the uh, or rather he is the professor for evidence-based medicine to me the, the clue is in the, the clue is yeah. in the name yeah uh, he's right here at Oxford, part of the university, and on more than one occasion, uh, videos he's posted or, or interviews he's given have been removed for, quote, violating the guidelines of YouTube or Twitter. Disinformation. Bi biomedical terrorism slash disinformation. Yep. I, I would like to specifically, Mark, if I may interrupt you for a moment, mm. when I was uh, visiting London the other week, I mentioned to a friend of mine, a very, very intelligent, uh, good, good person, uh, classic Labour voter, you know, a decent person. And I mentioned my willingness to attend one of the anti-lockdown protests and was told it's a bit, it's a bit right wing, isn't it? It's a bit, it's a bit extreme. And I think the fact that like anti, anti-police, anti-lockdown, pro, pro-freedom mm. uh, expression of protest has been successfully politically affiliated with, with right-wing groups and with a certain yep. kind of political conservatism is one of the more remarkable parts of the whole political conversation, how, how partisan the issue has been made. Um, I don't need to necessarily uh, interrogate you on your political views. Yep. But I think we can both agree that, that a lot of good people on the left have seen an anti-lockdown movement as my sister was counting, was, was looking at the, you know, the racial makeup of the photos, trying to decide how problematic these events were and not, not seeing that the, the cause behind this is a cause of, of freedom, of kind of, you know, of, of self-determination and of a lot of uh, people who, who want to get back to work and, and, and live their lives as normal. Yep. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, where I stand on that is I, I really very, very strongly believe that this issue of lockdowns and, and the response and the proportionality of the response to COVID, it transcends politics. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're conservative, Labour, right-wing, left-wing. These are... What, what's happened is that fundamental human rights and freedoms to, to work, to live, to gather, to... To worship. Worship, very good one, yes. Yeah. To 
you know, see your friends and family and loved ones, uh, whether just casually or, or in many cases, people are being deprived the, the chance to do that. Uh, even if somebody is, is unwell, is dying, you know, yeah. I can tell you, I won't name names, but I can tell you that I have a friend from my, my time living in London who has a son. Now, I, I don't know the latest of this, but I do know that their young son, who is not even two years old, I don't think, is terminally ill. He, he will very sadly die if he hasn't already. Mm. Um, and to my utter astonishment, I found that my friend in London and his wife were being forced by the hospital that was caring for their son to take it in turns to be by his bedside. They couldn't be with him together. I mean, I I just, I don't know how to react to something like that. I find it so, so flabbergasting, so emotionally vacant that a hospital could do that. You know, so in the end, they, they, I think, through a, a process of fighting and complaining constantly, they managed to have their son brought home. So he's now at their house and, and on a ventilator. And as I say, I, I need to get... I, it's one of these questions. You can't really, <laughs> you can't really text your friend and go, so uh, how's your son? Is everything okay? I, I will hear the news yeah. at some point, I know, which I, I, which I dread. But yeah. it's just extraordinary that, that yeah. these are two young professionals in their 30s. Yeah. Neither of them has COVID. Neither of them is at the slightest risk of any serious ill health should they contract it yeah and yet for that exercise that the sort of a precautionary principle above all else they couldn't go into the hospital together to be by their dying son's the, bedside the can you believe also that to protect the vulnerable and now you have a vulnerable terminally ill child who is not able to experience emotional comfort from yeah. their parents and, I know. and that is not seen as paradoxical it, it's in, just in staggering yeah. but so anyway i think to go back to the the point it, it transcends politics this um and in some ways you know i perfectly happy to admit i have traditionally been a conservative voter i will certainly never ever vote for a conservative government or at least not one led by boris johnson and with matt hancock and michael gove and others in attendance ever again Mm -hmm. that is a vow i have made and i will stick to as as a result of the lockdown completely as completely as a result of lockdown nothing else which you see is betraying the fundamental principles of small c conservatism right to liberty right to all this kind of stuff absolutely yeah yeah. um but you know uh, because that's because i'm sorry to interrupt you well no all i was going to say is so so let's face it i mean my my profession i'm in the i work in the legal profession Mm -hmm. and I'm one of those people who has largely been able to to see this out working well almost entirely working from home yeah sitting I'm fort- in the fortunate position that I I own my own home and I have a garden and all of those things so whilst it has affected me and I I have uh, been bitterly opposed to it and angered by it every day for the last 13 months now yeah you know if I were to look at me relative to the rest of the British population and indeed the world's population, so much of which has been placed in, in lockdowns of one form or another. I haven't had it 
that bad. Right. But that doesn't. This but, is, but this is surely a frustrating axis for people to argue on. To tell of course. you haven't had it that bad. Therefore, how can you complain when people have it worse? That's yeah. not an argument. No. And, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt you again, but even from a left wing point of view, if you're concerned about uh, about about working class people, I mean, I I know a lot of middle class people who've had a very nice year in their yeah. second home, uh, relaxing and working from home, and actually had a fairly pleasant time of it. That is not an argument for no. lockdown. You know, uh, no, it's not. And uh, so the interesting thing is I, I have discovered in, in my various meanderings around anti-lockdown sites and, and uh, content, there is a website called Left Lockdown Skeptics, okay. um, which really, I think this to me is instructive because it repeats a lot of the same arguments that I've been making on here so far that I've been making to anybody who will listen for mm. the last year. And the arguments don't change just because it's a left-wing mm. site or a left or read by left-wing people as opposed to uh, conser- you know, people who might have considered themselves conservatives. The arguments against lockdown are the same. The difference, which I think was what you were, you were touching on, is that it's likely, uh, this is a bit of a generalization, I know, but it is likely that let's say, the working class in many ways are more affected because they can't work from home. Right. The jobs that they have will, in some cases, mean that they have to go to work. Yeah. They can't yeah. sit in their comfortable study and, and do their job from there. Yeah. Likewise, if they, last year when we were permitted by this magnanimous government to go on summer holidays to a few different countries, albeit chucking them on and off the quarantine list at a moment's notice, which was an abomination in itself. Um, But, yeah, so those people went on holiday, came back. They can't afford to self-isolate. They have to to go back to work. Yeah. So, you know, it's left-wing, right-wing. I don't think it matters. The point is, this is a universal abomination, whatever your politics. Okay. So I have have two questions that come to mind, Mark, uh, as we develop this. Um, the first is uh, over the course of kind of your time on the street um, and what you've been doing, which is being out there and, and making this argument. Have you been met with a lot of? I mean, what's people's reaction been? Hostility, anger, irritation? Um, because I can't help but feel this is a tough one. A certain amount of Stockholm syndrome with people who've spent a year uh, in these horrific conditions. People who have sacrificed a remarkable amount. You know, seeing their relatives, giving up their job, giving up the daily pleasures that make life worth having, yep. and now feel they have this immense sunk cost in lockdown. And, and I wonder if that's bubbled into open hostility or if people have generally been sympathetic to your cause. I would say that we've had the whole gamut of responses, really. Um, there's been a, an encouraging amount of people coming up to us and saying, we don't need your materials, we agree with you. Mm. You know, thank you for what you're doing. You are braver than us or, or perhaps stupider than us, I don't know, in, in uh, putting yourself out there and, and making your case public. We have had the total opposite of that. We've had people kind of walk past past us and then, you know, leap aside and put on their mask outdoors oh. as though that's going to make any difference and say, you know, just you just by standing here, you're killing people. I mean, we've had literally I, somebody actually told me that once. Right. Yeah. Um, and then everything in between. I've had some very interesting and, and informed debates with people on the street. Um, I would say that what seems to have happened, so, so 
we you know we're still seeing advertising and and covid propaganda everywhere you look yeah in 2020 the british government which has displayed throughout all of this has displayed remarkable largesse in how much money it's willing to spend oh, test on and trace program exactly I mean, unbelievable. but so i mean the, this the amount i'm about to quote you is, is dwarfed by test and trace but nevertheless it's important 184 million pounds was spent on covid well advertising i call it propaganda yes, myself it is propaganda it is propaganda. Um, in it's 20 and it's absolutely terrible <clears throat> i'm sorry to interrupt you yeah in, no you're, you're quite right in in 2020 yeah. um so what my theory on it is that these days we are all on our phones or devices all of the time we are bombarded by media left right and center this has resulted lot if forget covid for a second this yeah. has resulted in people generally having a very short attention span yeah. and, and as a rule struggling to take in details of, of whatever it is they're reading mm. now if you ally that to the endless as i say propaganda the the street signs mm. the adverts on television on radio the masks the, the masks, masks the yeah. uh, you know let's take this next step safely yes. hands face space every uh, stay home save lives all of these things yeah. to me it's inevitable that people who are digesting content from the bbc or from sky news or whatever paper they subscribe to or whatever in short staccato bursts yes. are going to get the headlines they're going to get oh gosh today there were 27,000 cases and, and 328 deaths. This thing is, is, uh, is all over the place. It's been let rip. It's viral. It's, it's virulent. Yeah. Um, and Christ, we're all going to die. Yeah. You know? New variants, uh, new cases, new, you know, new long COVID conditions. Yeah. Uh, do the vaccines work? Do they not work? Does the yeah. new variant kill this? Is my grandma okay? Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's every day a fresh horror. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. When, you, when you put all of that together, to me, it's no wonder that your average person who, as I say, is, is reading bite-sized bits of news is, is, is scared of their own shadow. Yes, and especially <coughs> if you go to Tesco's and everyone is wearing a mask and standing apart and looking fearfully at their phone yeah. and the atmosphere is one of a plague, of apocalyptic fear, um, it, is, it is not unreasonable to have that reaction. I mean, Todd, let me tell you a, a story that happened. This was just last week, in fact. Mm. So in the, the brief interlude we had of a few warm days last week, I uh, went off with some friends. I don't even know or care if this was legal or illegal anymore, quite frankly. Um, but we went into a, a kind of publicly accessible garden area, which belongs to a, a pub, which is, of course, not open at the moment. Mm -hmm. And we were just sitting by the river in Oxford having a few beers. At the end of all of that, I set off i went to collect my bike to cycle home and to get back out onto the the road to cycle home you had to sort of wheel your bike through this uh, along this narrow path through some woods and um back onto the the main cycle path so i started doing that and a young woman was coming the other way wheeling her bike the path is very narrow yeah. there's it's barely even probably half a meter across let alone two and she stopped and I kind of advanced towards her and she, she threw up her hands and said, stop. Yeah. And I said, why? And she said, I need you to move over to one side to yeah. give me two meters to pass by you. Yeah. And I said, I'm sorry, we're, we're outside. Mm. Have you not read anything about the 
incredibly low, the infinitesimally yeah. small well, risk. Well, non-symptomatic spread is, is yet to be demonstrated. Yeah. Well, yeah, first spread. of all, I said to her, I'm not ill. I don't yeah, have yeah, COVID. Exactly. Then I said, even if I did, have you not read about the yeah. infinitesimally small risk of transmission outdoors? Yeah. And she she sort of <laughs> blustered and said, yeah. uh, oh, I, I need you to respect dif- uh, different opinions. I need you mm-hmm. to, to stand to one side. And I said, well, I'm not going to do that yeah. because we need to move on from this paranoia and fear and craziness. Yeah. And would you believe she, she called the police? Oh, my God. Wow. She called the police. I, I then thought I have got time to, to engage with this. So I, I cycled off or I turned round and went the other way and, and cycled off back sort of through the pub car park and out again. I then stopped wow. just to a, a few near the end of the driveway that leads into the, the pub. And I was just looking at something on my phone. I'd, I'd forgotten about her. I assumed she, you know, got over herself and, and moved on. But then she comes cycling up the driveway of the pub car park and i was just there i, I wasn't, wasn't expecting her to appear again mm-hmm. so she sees that i'm still there <laughs> lurking in the bushes yeah and, to, to take her grandma out and yeah. now i don't know if she i know i don't even know if her call to the police was was real or sure. whether she faked it yeah but suddenly as she's cycling up this driveway I hear her still on her phone going, he's still there, he's harassing me. Well, you know, I need you to come and do something. I just, I mean, yeah. words fail me. She's, I actually got home afterwards and I felt sorry for that young lady. I really did because she is lost. She is now terrified of, as I say, of her own shadow. Mm. I do not know how that person, if and when, we are ever permitted to live a fully normal life again, yeah. how she'll be able to readjust. Right. I indeed. don't think she will. Yeah, indeed. And I, I think it's important to emphasize, like, you're not a heartless person. You're no. not a cruel person. You don't torture squirrels for fun on a Thursday <laughs> afternoon. Right? Oh, well. I mean, well you know, <laughs> no, like, I don't. I, yeah, I really that's don't. That's quite all right, mate. You know, we can do a separate show on uh, squirrel <laughs> bothering. But, you know, it, it, I think it's probably a, a compassion for this woman that's driving you to be so concerned about it because that's no way to live. No. There's no way to live. There's, there's awful things can happen to you every single time you leave your house. And the world, many people die every day of all kinds of horrific, unlikely and despicable ways. Everything from, you know, lung cancer to getting hit by a heavy goods vehicle. They do. And every time you leave your door, you are undertaking that risk. And so is your grandma and so is everyone you know. And hundreds of people dying every day is not an abomination or a strangeness in the world. It is exactly what happens every single day and will continue to happen for the rest of human history. Correct. Um, so I think it's important to, to mention to people <clears throat> who maybe are bristling a little bit at, at the way you're framing this, that I don't think either of us are arguing from, well, of course, we're not arguing from a point of, of, of vindictiveness or cruelty and, and not callousness for people's, the, the weak and the vulnerable's lives. Uh, it is just the sense that it is not a way that we as a species can navigate existence to have this level of concern and fear for our fellow man or woman uh, predicated on, I think really when you look at the statistics, what is not a very good argument, you know? That's, that's exactly right. Um, and yes, it, it's worth making the point that all the way through this, what I have advocated is broadly along the lines of a th- uh, declaration that some of your listeners may have heard of, and, and if they haven't, I do urge them to go and read it. Mm-hmm. It's not very long. Yeah. It's called The Great Barrington Declaration. It's a right-wing extremist uh, terrorist statement <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of hate. Signed, signed in blood in a field somewhere in South Kensington. Indeed. Yeah. By, by uh, it, it's, uh, I can't remember how many, but a number of very eminent 
scientists and public health experts yeah. have put their name to this document. They, I mean, it was published in May or June it's of last year, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what the Great Barrington Declaration proposed was simply what it calls focused protection yeah. for... We, we knew within a few weeks of the, the outbreak of COVID last year, we knew what, or rather who, were the patients or the people, not patients, the mm. people who were most at risk, who were most vulnerable to this particular coronavirus. Yeah. And the Great Barrington Declaration said, employ a system of focused protection. We, we sort of had it in the first lockdown in, in the mm. form of shielding for those who, uh, whose health records, if you like, the NHS meant uh, that they were deemed to be particularly vulnerable. So they had a kind of enhanced lockdown. Yeah. Can't have been much fun for them. I no, accept that. My, but my then, grandparents have been living in those conditions for a year. It's been very difficult for them. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but you know, we, we are in the sense we are with COVID where we are. It's a, a virus that has emerged. Goodness knows if we'll ever find out from where or, or how. Another but, conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah it <laughs> it so happens that it targets people of, of advanced years and or with severe comorbidities or, or at least underlying conditions like diabetes, like yes. obesity, like kidney failure. Um, so we knew who they were yeah. and it should have been possible to adopt a sensible system of focused protection for those people and those with whom they came into contact, providing essential services and so on, whilst allowing everybody else yeah. to go on with their lives. And, and you know, I'm not I'm also not sitting here saying you don't introduce some element of testing and tracing. That that's when done proportionately and sensibly. I see no issue with that. Yeah, it's the way that it was handled and the way that the response was. Well, there are these fractional numbers of people who are vulnerable. Therefore, all of you must stay in your homes and be shut away. And yeah. you know, in my particular case, and and this is one of the things that I cannot ever forgive this this government for doing as it happens i live by myself now as a young well youngish i'm not quite 40 but as a young, yeah, young man. as a, a youngish Sporty. person with a very active social and sporting and mm -hmm. cultural life yeah that life that i had relied on being out of the house you know my, my prior to march 2020 my house was somewhere i occasionally stayed in for the evening and, and slept in, yeah. you know. Um, and I can't, I've forgotten where I was going with this, but I, well, I just is, sort it's, of can't... It's, it's, it was a remarkable thing <clears throat> to take away from you, to yeah. take away your entire social... And well, and, and life, right? quite frankly, and this is, again, this is touching on the political side again, yeah. but I am a libertarian. Yeah. I believe in, in a small state, in a state that doesn't interfere with your life um, and, and where, you know, nothing is illegal unless it's strictly stated right. to be so. Right. We have pivoted now to, if you like, the, the um, continental civil law system where everything is, is written down, is constitutional, mm -hmm. yeah. and where nothing is legal unless it's specifically stated to be so. Right. Right. And that is, to me, is, is unforgivable and, and not the right approach. So anyway. Yeah. The Barrington Declaration has been out there. People have been saying this for, well, pretty much the whole time. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's been suppressed. I mean, Matt Hancock, had, who is 
not an expert, he, he may be the health secretary, but he had the temerity to stand up in, in the House of Commons and say that the authors of the Barrington Declaration, who are, are people who have more uh, scientific and, and uh, epidemiolog ep uh, knowledge of epidemiology and virology in their little fingers than he has in his entire body, mm. uh, and he had the temerity to stand up in the Commons and say that they were wrong and dangerous people. Right. Right. It's astonishing. Right. So, okay, let me put this to you, Mark. And um, I think this is, I'll be interested to see how you take this question. The, the narrative and the response surrounding the virus, which I think we both agree exists, the, the COVID-19 virus is a, is a real virus. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, what has happened in the last year as a result of that, from the vaccinations to the masks, to the lockdown, to the quarantine, to the global shifting of political culture, um, I would, I would be interested, and I'm, I'm aware it's not an easy question and has no easy answers. Um, in, in your personal opinion, the, what has been the driving force behind this shift of everything from the way that we operate legally to the way that people live our lives? Why, why has this happened? And how have we ended up here a year later in the situation that we're in? That is a, that is <laughs> I, a tricky, I, I, a tricky yes, question. It is. Um, I think that China, as, as a country, has an awful lot to answer for mm. here. Um, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, we, we, we may never know, we almost certainly never will know, given the, the secrecy and uh, authoritarianism under which that state operates. Mm -hmm we will never know the true origins of this virus um but you're, you're implying there's a <coughs> an argument to be made for the possible uh, this, this is an artificially originating virus there's wuhan virology labs there's okay you're not making the argument but you're you're, I'm, you're I'm, mentioning it's I'm, I'm suggesting that it's a, a possibility of, of events yes. yeah yes. so uh, but that in a sense it doesn't matter because mm -hmm. it it is here now and yeah. and you know we have to to deal with the consequences but i'm more i'm not so concerned with where the virus came from as China's response to it mm. and the way in which it enacted these, these brutal lockdowns in, in Wuhan and elsewhere in the country, even going so far as to weld people into their blocks of flats, that they welded the doors shut so that you could not leave for right. anything ever. And what then happened is as the virus started to spread its way around the globe, you may remember the first country outside of China Absolutely. to yeah, yeah to people implement. dropping dead on the street, trucks full of bodies being taken to the cemetery. Well, yeah, indeed. Well, I mean, there are there are some. Uh, honestly, I I would urge your listeners to, if they yes. can find them, to go on Twitter or YouTube or whichever platform they can, and look for some of the videos that emerged from China in the very early days of this. Yeah. They are hilariously badly acted. Absolutely. A these, lot of this these... has been memory hold. A lot of this has been wiped <coughs> from people's memory. And yeah. Yes, absolutely. But videos of people allegedly just minding their own business in the street and suddenly just dropping dead. Yeah. Apparently That's from COVID. COVID. Yeah, right. You know, right. absolutely. Um, which is, is it's farcical. And yeah. yet yeah. these videos were, were spread like wildfire around the world. They went viral. Ha ha. Mm -hmm. um, and before you knew it, China enacted, I mean, I've seen very convincing evidence of this. China bombarded the social media accounts of politicians, of sports stars, of people of influence in Italy, first of all, mm. promoting lockdown as a response to 
COVID. Now, it's true that, that in the initial wave, northern Italian hospitals in particular were overwhelmed. Yeah. They didn't, uh, you know, we didn't know really what this was. They didn't know how to cope with it. Yeah. Ventilators were mistakenly yes. being used, as you touched on. So, and, and you had and these... And panic is a real factor as well. Yeah. yeah. So you had these ghastly scenes of people lying on the floor, lying in, in on uh, ambulance beds in corridors, whatever. Um, yeah. It should be noted, by the way, that, uh, you know, I live in the UK, so I know more about the UK, but it should be noted that virtually every single year, certainly for the past few years, as, as cutbacks have been made to the NHS, yeah. these scenes of patients in corridors waiting for treatment, lying on the... the uh, little sort of trolley beds that you have in ambulances and so on have been repeated up and down the uk every winter for yeah. the last however many winters but that again that we should also mention that the seasonal flu has killed i don't want to misquote the number but certainly tens of thousands of people every well, they have, well in, a, in a bad flu season in the uk i want to say one hundred fifty thousand. am i am i completely out of my mind here it well it depends how many winters you go back but in, right. in a bad flu season in the uk Anywhere up to twenty, twenty-five thousand okay, people. Okay. So I'm getting a bit excited, die. but it, but yes, it, every every year and beds yeah. overflow because when you design a hospital, you design it for peak occupancy, which only yeah. happens once a year. There's no point building it for more than that because exactly. it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So anyway, um, Italy was was panicking that these scenes in in the northern Italian region in the hospitals. China undoubtedly engaged in a, a sort of propaganda blizzard of people with influence and, and so on in Italy uh, promoting lockdown as a response. Remember that prior to, to March 2020, lockdown had never been tried outside of China. Mm. It had never been was tried. The Spanish in, flu? Was there lockdown in the Spanish flu? There was not. There was some, some minimal, from what I have read, there were right. some minimal measures taken in, in the UK. I think, uh, you know, dance halls and a few things were, were closed i mean it was a, it was yeah well that was what people did to enjoy themselves oh, back then. Yeah, but yeah. It, remember i mean it was a very different time sure. we, we there were no international flights people were a lot right. less mobile you tended to stay where you were in the area you were born and, and yeah. lived and worked for your entire life yeah so it was a very different time and 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 the Spanish was also a terrifying virus as well well it was but mentioned. but so here's the thing so despite the fact that there was much less mobility mm. The Spanish, the Spanish flu did still killed fifty million plus resident uh, people in worldwide with an average age of what twenty nine. Yeah. yeah, COVID has I think uh, the, the figure is somewhere in the region of three million deaths. Again, remember that statistic of within with twenty eight days of a positive test. But yeah. even if you accept that every one of those yes. was killed primarily by the, the COVID nineteen virus. 3 million as a proportion of the world's current population of, of somewhere between 6 and 7 billion people yeah. is barely, a, it's a drop in the ocean. Quite this literally. is a problem with human beings and statistics. Like this is just a problem with the human brain. When you say 3 million dead people, that is sensational. Yeah. That is horrifying. And people, I don't think people can divide a billion by a million. I certainly can't, can't right? To get an actual perspective of, of the damage that's been done. You yeah. Know, 
Um, and I also think it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to mention how the, the testing, I'm sorry to go on a slight um, sidetrack, but I find it quite interesting that the, the testing that was used uh, by the American, is the CDC, uh, yes. they changed the lateral flow threshold, I think on the day of Biden's inauguration, to raise the threshold by which a positive COVID test could be taken, meaning that's a tacit admission that all tests done prior to that are fundamentally founded on, I don't want to say faulty medicine, but on a... In, in oh, I... I think I know. No, it's. I, I do want to to Please do. touch on this because yeah. I think I know what you're what you're getting at. Yeah. So, and again, it's important that your listeners are are made aware of this. So, I just wanted to talk about the PCR tests now. As your listeners may or may not know, PCR. It's a bit of a mouthful. It stands for polymerase chain reactor test. The way that PCR works, for those of you who have who've taken a test, you'll know this. You, you stick a cotton swab as far as you can up the back of your throat and then also to the back of your nasal cavity. And that collects ribonucleic acid. It collects DNA. It, it, it basically gives the labs something to sample, something to test to see if you have infectious virus particles within you. And I, I've learned all of this, as I say, despite not being a scientist or a virologist. It's not hard, in that, or not that hard. Um, now, the way that the PCR test is analysed is they put those, uh, what the, the material collected on those swabs through a series of, of thermal cycles. And what that does is it sort of amplifies the ribonucleic acids, the spike proteins of the COVID virus. PCR was invented in 1983 by an American scientist called Carrie Mullis. And he went on record at the time it, it sort of was first made publicly available to say that you can, and his words were, I've seen the video of him saying this, his words were, you know, if you use enough, a high enough number of thermal cycles, you right. can find anything with right. PCR, anything at all. And he recommended that no more, I think it was no more than 35, it might even have been 25 thermal cycles be used uh, if using the PCR as a sort of mass diagnostic testing uh, tool. Now, for whatever reason, I, I don't know the genesis of this, but for whatever reason, certainly in the UK, and I believe in much of the rest of the world, for most of the time this has been going on, we've been using 40 to 45 thermal cycles got to make sure you know. what that means is that the pcr swabs that are, are getting uh, tested and analyzed are picking up not in every case mm. but in a lot of them are picking up fragments of kind of dead past non-infectious mm. virus mm. whether covid or something else yeah. we don't know but um and if it's covid that result is being deemed and goodness knows we've heard this word enough in the last year it's being deemed a case yes right right it appears not to matter whether the person who who um whose swab it is is completely healthy yeah, is may have may perhaps have had symptoms but has long you know passed them and got over them yeah. that appears to be discounted all that matters is it's a positive result 
on the PCR, the gold standard test, mm -hmm. it's a case. Right. And then we can count case numbers. Yes. And then we can uh, kind of lock you down and, and restrict your lives accordingly because, goodness me, there are tens of thousands of cases, even though many of those people never were infectious or perhaps have, have long got over their symptoms. And, and, you know, by the time the labs, the labs haven't been well administered, there are plenty of articles and studies about that as well so by the time they, they turn the tests around that person is simply not a risk to anybody else anyway right. and as time so, has gone beyond sort of gone on more testing which means more cases precisely so the, the, the case i mean, interestingly the goalposts have obviously changed from from you know from deaths to 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 cases uh you know, well, and, and back again, you know, yeah. first it was whatever's, deaths, whatever's. then it was cases, then it was... And uh, some interesting counting as well in yeah. terms of how those numbers have been measured. Uh, I think in April last year, there was a particularly interesting surge where they just sort of, uh, you know, this, so this is also the problem. I, again, I am a podcast host. I am by no means a medical expert. And the more granular we get, the more likely I am to put my foot in my mouth. Um, yeah. And the problem when I come to argue with people, which I have... Uh, trying to do so in a constructive way is that as soon as we wade into medical science i am i am you know a mediumly informed amateur at best right i don't understand a lot of the scientific principles of what i'm studying um i just think that you know it was obviously it's nice to have someone speaking with a little bit more authority here um it's just that almost anywhere you poke <clears throat> the narrative it almost immediately appears to fold in on itself but um, i mean the, the thing so the thing this is the thing tom is that what i'm telling you like I, I will repeat again that i'm not a scientist or a virologist what i'm telling you is stuff that is publicly available it's out there and i'm reading it because i've been against this lockdown concept from the start yeah. most people as i was saying earlier haven't had the, the time or the inclination to disbelieve what the government is telling them mm. or at least not even disbelieve but to be skeptical and to question and to challenge mm. and so when the government says that one in three people is walking around is a sort of walking pathogen mm. uh infected with covid and doesn't know it yeah then the, the the fear mounts accordingly and people will accept anything that is is thrown at them yes so yes. The, the to go back to what you referred to in January of this year, which it pretty closely coincided. I don't know if it was the day of, but it very closely coincided with the inauguration of, of Joe Biden as president in the US. Yeah. The World Health Organization issued a communique. It was very bland. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't know about this unless, like me, you were hunting for this kind of thing. <laughs> yes. um, and it just sort of reminded member countries which is most countries in the world that the pcr test when administered at, at uh, or rather at such a high number of thermal cycles is likely to generate some false positive mm -hmm. results yeah. and the way that you should use it is a lower number of thermal cycles right. accompanied by and here, here get this this is this is a real um a real uh, eye opener accompanied by an actual clinical diagnosis, oh i.e. go and see your doctor. Right. And right, if your right. doctor looks at you and says, yeah, you look like you've got symptoms of COVID, mm -hmm. then you go home and you uh, isolate at home until they go, until they go away. Right. Um, not sick until proven sick, in other words. Precisely. So I, I don't, what I don't know is whether as a result of that WHO communique, the number of thermal cycles that the labs analyzing PCR tests had, uh, using has dropped. I don't know if that's the case or not. Right. I do know that 
at least here in the UK, you know, we are now bumbling along at, at, at barely, even with all these millions of, excuse me, tests being performed on secondary school kids every single day and their teachers and yeah. their parents. We're bumbling along at barely 3,000. They can only find 3,000 yes. positive so that's tests. That's exactly the vibe. How many can they find? That's yeah. exactly what it feels like. Um, yeah. And, you know, deaths in, in double figures for the last uh, however many days. Yes. And yet a most. third wave is still being discussed yeah. as a sort of, are we on the edge of disaster? You know, are we all about to die after weeks of seven people dying a day with a positive test? And I think, so a lot of skeptics, well, pro-COVID skeptics, I would almost say, you know, when I talked about a third wave, they go, Tom, you know, you're great, you know, no way a third wave, no way will Mars still be here in, in the autumn, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And now to see what's happening in Europe. I mean, I personally... I don't know when they think the, wa the waves are going to end. I don't. I don't. I think it will end when people have said we we refuse to continue to participate in this narrative of variants mm. and of waves and 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 this which. Well, here, here. So yeah. here's the thing. So France has just gone into another lockdown, another month of of purgatory. If you actually look at the graphs for France, yeah. Their mortality rate isn't increasing. Yeah. The the. Mortality rate is virtually well, the flat. The year-on-year deaths are flat, are flat universally. And, yeah. and I'm sorry to interrupt you again. Look at Sweden. Look at Texas. Mm. I mean, we have petri dish lab examples of what happens when you don't yeah. lock people down. We have it right in front of you. Yeah. How can there be a debate about this as a medical issue when we have countries and states with with like this similar geography, you know, who have obviously taken a different path and have had the same results? Yeah. How is this not a part of the conversation? Do you let your your listeners? I will uh, give them a fact that they may be surprised by. Of the 27, now that we're not one anymore ourselves, of the 27 EU member states, Sweden in 2020 came 25th out of 27 in the number of excess deaths for that year. It's probably all so, the suicides and overdoses from all the people doing heroin every day to get through the <laughs> lockdown. I'm not even joking. Well, but what I assume I, there's extra mortality it, from depression, you know. There, no, there will be. But yeah. what, I think what's important about that statistic is look how low it came. Right. So 24 other countries, many of which will have enacted lockdowns yes. of varying lengths and brutalities, yeah. nevertheless had more excess deaths in 2020 than everyone's did. going to get the virus i think the virus numbers are going to be relatively stable regardless of lockdown policy i think the virus is endemic in the population and will continue to be so mm. i genuinely think that the excess mortality might be a product of the drug abuse of the depression of yeah. the suicide that, that results and also just i mean you know mental health and physical health are not disconnected when, when you lock animals in cages they get sick and they die and this Precisely. is not a medical diagnosis but it's not healthy to panic people to freak them out and to lock them in their houses for long periods of time it wouldn't surprise me at all if that results in negative mortality outcomes for a, for a country. Well, it, it will. And, uh, you know, I have read a number of studies which suggest that here in the UK, the number of people who will, will in the short, medium and long term, who will die as a consequence of lockdowns is anywhere between 200 to at the 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 worst case was i read was 600,000 600,000 to even if you take the the lower uh, yep. low end example of 200 i think it was 225 actually 225,000 people now of course that's a prediction in the way that neil bloody ferguson yeah predicted 500,000 would die of covid in the first place yep. but when you look at the fact that in 2020 
I think four million cancer screenings were missed. Yeah, four million people either wouldn't go themselves because they were too petrified of COVID, thanks to the government's fear porn, or their doctors wouldn't see them in person. Four million cancer screenings. Now, again, I've no way of telling you how many of those will turn into um, cases of of terminal cancer, but clearly some of them will. And that's just one disease. Think of all the old people in care homes, unable to, to see their loved ones, relatives, and so on, who if they didn't have dementia or Alzheimer's before they went in there, they sure as yeah, hell will now. Sure. I feel like I have dementia after six months of lockdown. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, um, sorry not to make your point, you know, facile, but, you know, non, how do I put this, non-fungible diseases like, uh, you know, like, yeah, depression, anxiety, a, a collective worsening by 15% of the, of the national mental health is going to have knock-on effects that, you know, I don't think I could put them on a graph, but they're definitely real. Yeah, right, you know, and and that's so. These are the these are, if you like, the the direct examples. But you also need to take into account the number of people who will become ill or or depressed or or whatever from having lost the ability to work. Yeah, and lack, lack of education. Yeah, uh, increases in sexual and domestic abuse cases. I mean, oh yeah, I think we could just start listing and and go on for a while, right? Yeah, and so whatever the different causes. To me, it is abundantly clear that in, it may not all transpire in the next few months. Mm. It may take several years, but it is abundantly clear that the toll, death toll and, and toll on society, on relationships, on, on just frankly, above all, if you like, the relationship and of trust. Well, there isn't any in my case right. anymore, but the relationship of trust between the ordinary citizen and the government we elect yes. to, you know, govern with our consent. For me, that's broken. Right. And society is broken. Forget Brexit. This thing yeah. and the response to it has polarized, from what I can see, has polarized people and opinions in a way that, that not even Brexit could. Um, yes, it, will I take, it will take years. I, I don't know if the country can ever recover at all. Yeah. You know, where I've been so envious in the last uh, few weeks to see various U.S. states. You mentioned Texas, yeah. um, and it's not all kind of the red states in the South. Connecticut is another mm-hmm. one, but Texas, Mississippi, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Florida, and there are several others. I have I haven't memorized them all. Where because the U.S. is of course a federal model, President Biden, for all that he harps on about. Uh, you must all wear masks. He has no power whatsoever. Thank goodness for those yeah. the inhabitants of those states to impose that. And the states I named and a number of others have uh, one after the other. They've been like dominoes falling. They have yeah. rescinded all restrictions, all mask mandates. Florida did it in September of last year well. and is suffering nothing by way of, of epidemic or outbreak or excess deaths or anything. I'm not just saying that. The no, data is out there. there. Go look at it. Go look at Florida. You know? Yeah, so Vietnam, um, uh, there's a number of other countries as well. Obviously, Sweden is a commonly cited model. But I think the US is the perfect example because, as you say, you know, these are, these are you know, it's the same country. It's the same country. I mean, what better side-by-side comparison can you ask for? Yeah. I mean, you know. on uh, just over this Easter weekend on Saturday, I mean, I, I saw this and uh, a short video that was posted on Saturday, and, and frankly, I almost cried. Mm. On Saturday, 
40,000 maskless, happy, free people attended a Texas Rangers baseball game yep. in Dallas or yep. wherever it is they play. Sure. And Were they tested before this? Or no, 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 nothing. They just turned up. They just turned wow. up. They just went. They did what, yeah. until just over a year ago, was considered perfectly <laughs> yeah. normal. They went to a sports stadium en masse and they watched a game and they yeah. had fun and then they went home afterwards. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we're talking about uh, to, to just to be able to do that, yeah. having to take a test before you go, having to, no doubt, I mean, I, I do have some tickets to go and watch England play cricket later this summer. Mm. I am... Having even though I've shelled out good money for those, yeah, I am very tempted. I, I'm not sure I want to go mm. if there will be some kind of requirement that I have to shuffle around in Edgbaston or Lords or yeah. wherever it is I'm going, wearing a mask. Yes, I think, and I think to agree with you there. I mean, the fact that the pubs are reopening. First of all, as you put it very well earlier, the fact that I'm supposed to be grateful for government magnanimity of, of allowing me to return to a place where I can have a pint of beer yep. is deranged. And the second, that wearing a mask, washing my hands, tracking into an app and sitting at a table where I can politely pay £6.50 for like a ghost to bring me a pint of beer and sit uncomfortably in a corner is also not what I'm talking about no. at all. Uh, and I don't intend to be grateful for it. I no. intend to be irritated by it, which I am. Um, yep. And when it comes to the question of the vaccine, which I think will, you know, the narrative changes every week. I think people, you know, were like, of course, we won't have to get a vaccine to go to the pub. Well, let's see. Let's see. Because, you know, really, I, I presume at some point people will be asking me to be vaccinated. And I think this is a conversation about lockdown. I think there's a conversation about masks. There's a conversation yep. about lockdown. There's a conversation about the vaccine. And different sides of that movement draw different people out of the woodwork for different reasons. And I think we've kept it fairly healthily focused on lockdown today. Uh, but uh, it is certainly an unusual thing to to look at. And um, Well, I mean, I'm just, uh, and I'm not going to, to touch on the vaccines per yeah. Personally, I will have it when it's given to me. Yeah. I, you know, whilst I find big pharma companies generally a bit sort of odious in the way they operate, sure. I know people, I happen to live in Oxford, so I know people who were involved in the Oxford vaccine program. Yeah. I know, despite some of the, the ghastly things you might read about blood clots and so on, I know that they have not set out to come up with a, a medical product that, that will ha deliberately harm us. Yeah, Absolutely, sure. they uh, haven't. Of course. Um, yeah. However, we've been sold this as, as the way out. Uh, as Matt Hancock, I, I tend to call him ruder names a lot of the time now, mm. but Hancock was interviewed in January of this year, shortly after we went into the lockdown, but by which point we'd already started vaccinating some of the, the most vulnerable sort of over 80s. And he said, and I quote, once we have vaccinated the vulnerable yes. and we know who they were yep. and are, he said, it will be time to cry freedom. Jab by, he said, jab by jab, we are protecting this country. This is our way back to normality. And yet here we are, yep. fast forward three months, we have vaccinated all of those. More than half of well, the, the rest. More than half the rest, but yeah. we've vaccinated all of those. Yeah. Okay, I accept there are some who whose state of health uh, meant that they couldn't take it but all you know nearly yeah. all of those who were deemed vulnerable and who were willing and able to take it have been vaccinated and plenty more besides yeah. you know so it, mission over... accomplished to quote george bush uh, let my people go yeah uh, we've done it um yeah and you know here we are that has happened and 
whilst okay you can uh, i i completely agree with you i refuse to be grateful that i can now have technically five people in my garden for a barbecue or i can uh go and play sport with or play golf or whatever with with three other people um or indeed that from monday i can sit in the unseasonably cold weather in a pub garden you know i refuse to be grateful for that because these rights were never the governments to take away from me in the first place or you or any of your stretching back absolutely i'm sorry any of your listeners i'm i'm on i'm on i'm on a i'm on flowing now yes yes (laughs) um but you know yesterday easter monday i think it was Mm. we now have hancock saying that our return to normality hinges not on the vaccines that you've told us countless times before were the key to a return to normal now apparently it's pivoted again Mm. and it hinges on mass testing which is they they talked about operation moonshot back in september so now again your listeners may not know this and and uh but apologies if i'm preaching if they do a 2.8 billion pound contract has been signed with a company called innova Mm. innova is at least partly Chinese. It's uh, I can't remember what position he holds. He holds whether it's chief executive or, or chairman, but a very senior executive. Not in... chairman. Slightly suspicious position for a Chinese person. I'm sorry. Please do that. <laughs> yeah. That's very true. Um, anyway, a very senior executive in Innova who is hails from guess what Wuhan of all places. Okay. Um, has signed this contract. It's, as I say, again, the government displaying enormous amounts of, of largesse with public money, with your money and my money. Um, they're buying colossal amounts of lateral flow tests and urging all members of the public to, to test themselves, even if they're not ill, Yeah. yeah. Uh, twice a week with these things. Um, and now Hancock is saying oh, that this, this mass testing is the, uh, the, the route back to normal. This, I.e. Uh, I, there is no route out. Because no. the route out of illiteracy is not testing people for literacy. That doesn't solve the fundamental problem. Precisely. Vaccination is a solution to, to a well, virus, it, right? It, it, Albeit a poor one. Mass testing is a solution that will never disappear. It's like having metal detectors at the airport. It is, it is a solution that never has to go away. It is a constant yep. reminder of an imminent threat. That yep. will become, don't forget that after 9-11, metal detectors were introduced as a temporary stopgap uh, and then never went away, yep. um, as I believe many of these measures never will. People exactly. will be wearing masks and socially distancing, I think, in this country for the rest of my life. And well, I'm not happy uh, to admit that, but I believe it's true. But, and not, not only your, your suspicion is sort of is well-founded, because just today or yesterday, I think, um, papers were submitted from the dreaded Imperial College and, and University of Warwick and one or two of the others that keep cropping up as mm. the, the kind of doom-mongering modelers in all this. Uh, papers were submitted to SAGE, to the body of uh, despicable, frankly, because they are, um, behavioural scientists and, and physicists like Neil Ferguson, who are purporting to advise the government on, on virology and epidemiology, um, suggesting that uh, even if the government, quotes, fully unlocks the country on the 21st of June, as, as is the plan, mm-hmm. Um, that masks and social distancing must remain for at least another year, yeah. by which time they say, we, we think that maybe COVID will be just about manageable by then. We'll be getting it's, tired. Yeah. But it's bloody well manageable now. Yeah, I'm managing fine. We have the vaccines. We have better treatments. Yeah, I'm also not sick. 
Yeah, um, yeah, yeah it, it, yeah. it just astonishes Indeed. me. Yeah. So, um, you know, you're, I fear very much that you're right. That yeah. uh, Even if you told people they didn't have to wear masks tomorrow, people, people have been, there's been a successful reprogramming of people's expectation well, of safety. there has, and, and I think one thing that's worth pointing out, which to me is, is utterly astonishing, is that at no point has the government ever made it law for you to wear a mask mm. outside. Right. In the UK and other people, countries have done that. Yeah, right. And yet look around you now. Yeah. I mean, Oxford is particularly bad. I don't mm. know about other places in, in the UK, but mm. look around you now and probably half, maybe two thirds of people walking around in the street outdoors, even if they're by themselves, yeah. are wearing masks. Yes. And I find that appalling and and tragic and dehumanizing you can't communicate with those people mm. we we all of us human beings from the day we're born we pick up verbal and visual clues from the faces of those around us and you lose that yeah i i am forget me i am terrified that a generation of children yeah. will grow up thinking that it's normal for adult faces and, and the, the faces of their, say, their elder siblings or their cousins or whatever, to be covered and masked. Yeah. Uh, it, it's just disgusting. And Absolutely I, and I disgusting. Say, as a brief addendum, when I run in this area near here, I was brought almost to the point of tears by seeing uh, young school children playing in the playground without masks, without social distancing, playing, laughing, you know, as children are want to do, having been a teacher myself in the past, it was absolutely, it was, it was incredibly heart, heartbreaking to see them naturally playing in a natural environment without yeah. the need for this kind of bizarre intervention. Yeah. And I, I hope and pray that that continues to be a normal part of childhood because God only knows what you're amputating from healthy psychological development, as you say, by, by uh, yeah, by enforcing people to cover their faces half the time they communicate. Well, and, and just today, so that the mission creep has continued today. The government has now said that uh, the, the guidance that they had issued prior to the, the schools breaking up for Easter holidays was that after the, the resumption, after the Easter holidays, secondary school kids didn't any longer have to wear masks in classrooms. Mm -hmm. That's now changed. So now they are condemned secondary school children to wearing a mask in the classroom and everywhere they go in the school until at least the 17th of May, until the next date on the roadmap. On what scientific basis? Yeah, there is none. They have been testing these children to, to the nine, you know, to, to the eyeballs since the schools went back on the 8th of March and finding 0.06% of positive cases from yeah. these lateral flow tests. So where is the evidence? Why do they need to be masked up? Yeah. It's just shocking. Yes, I agree. You know, we all know, we've all been at school, um, that the kind of concentration, the ability of teenagers to concentrate is, is limited at the best of times. Mm. Put a, a bloody muzzle on their faces. Yeah. I, I've worn one when I've absolutely had to on an aeroplane and so on. Yeah. And it is uncomfortable yeah, and it's like hot either. and you can't breathe as well. Mm -hmm. It makes me resentful as well. If yeah. you want to pay people resent authority, force them to wear, to yeah. wear a mask all the time. So, yeah. I, you know, I do not believe for one second that anybody who says, oh, it's just a mask, it's just, you know, a few hours here, a few hours there. Yeah. I, I forced myself to, well, mind you, I took it off and, and drank coffee very slowly for as long as I could on a, a three-hour flight last year. Yeah. But the rest of the time, you know, thanks to the glares from those around you, you sort mm. of 
pulled the damn thing up. Mm. And for that amount of time, it was deeply unpleasant. Yeah. And it, as I say, you breathe in and out of it. It gets hot. It gets damp. Um, nowadays, you see people walking around, and and if they're not wearing it on their face, it's it's around their chin. Or I even saw someone sort of carrying it like, almost like a handbag or sort of <laughs> yeah. over their shoulder the other day. Yeah. Um, or in their pockets. Yeah. I, I guess you know maybe some people are diligently changing their mask every day, but and throwing uh, it into the ocean to. Uh, to oh well, to that's take a whole that's a whole other that. thing. Yeah. But you know, I, I can guarantee you that many people will be walking around with the same face mask in their coat pocket or their trouser pocket or whatever um don't tell me that that thing is is not riddled with other bacteria and and is frankly posing you more of a health risk putting it on and off yeah uh than than given the virtually non-existent levels of covid in the community now which are viral particles that can pass through my heretics branded cloth mask which i've now misplaced with the Evelyn, oh, how how, unfor- how unfortunate for well, you. Well, I think the fact is that I don't like wearing it, and my brother was smart enough to buy me a couple of Heretics-branded cloth masks for Christmas, meaning right. I sort of, I quite like them because it has my show on it, which makes it somewhat bearable for me, and something about having Heretics on it makes me feel, in a slightly sad way, a little bit rebellious. I mean, really what I need is like the Swedish death statistics on it on a nice graph or something uh, yep. equally problematic. But uh, it makes me feel a little bit less pathetic every time I have to put it on. And, you know, again, to, to people listening, I mean, you know, this is I hopefully this is not coming across as pure contrarian kind of wannabe rebelism. It is. I don't like doing things that don't need to be done. I've never liked rules. I haven't enjoyed doing things that are unnecessary for a long time. Um, it is incredibly irritating for me to have to conform for no other reason than, as you say, social pressure uh, and a kind of idiotic view that it's some kind of you know bizarre charm of safety which will prevent me from uh, collapsing on the train back. So, well, Tom, Tom <sighs> listen. I mean, as I, as I mentioned briefly, I, I work in the legal profession. Mm. I have an obligation normally to uphold the the law of the country yeah however i i have never before in my life felt as inclined to disregard disobey and and undermine laws as as these ones as the the whole gamut of i think we're on uh, over 300 separate pieces of legislation now all passed under the auspices of the coronavirus act mm. And using the the Public Health Act 1984, which I mean, ironic, the year that that was Not passed, the best <laughs> um, yeah. as the sort of um, legislative hook on which to to hang all of this stuff. Right. Um, and you know, I have routinely ignored it, disobeyed it, because these laws are. are utterly utterly wrong right they are punishing magnitude my sister's friend had a party in edinburgh ten thousand pounds i mean for students you know six thousand seven hundred i think on the train like like it's obviously it's just money but like this is this is a real serious enforcement of this law yeah you you are not intended to play around with it this is this is this is how it is and i don't know i mean when is that supposed to go away i mean it's just yeah well as we know just the other week the uh the craven institution pathetic institution that once passed for our you know democratic legislature in in the house of commons passed an extension of the coronavirus act and the emergency powers uh that that it gives for another six months it was due to expire on the 31st of march it now runs till the end of september just in time for winter 
Well, exactly. So, and as the wonderful MP, Sir Charles Walker, who has been one of the few voices of, of sanity in all of this, he stood up in Parliament during the debate on whether this should be extended or not. And he said, as sure as eggs is eggs, we will be back here in mid to late September of this year. And you, Boris Johnson, a man who, I'll come back to that, you, Boris Johnson, will be asking us to approve another six-month extension. You can absolutely cast iron, guarantee it. And unfortunately, we have no meaningful opposition at the moment. I mean, okay, sure, the country elected this this government and they gave them an 80-seat majority and and, uh, heaven forgive me, I was one of the idiots who voted for them back in, uh, whenever it was, mm-hmm. October 2019. Yeah. And I wish to goodness I hadn't, but there we are. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so they, they have a large majority. They can, you know, to some extent, do what they want. Right, right, uh, right. But it's, to me, it's quite astonishing that Her Majesty's opposition, look again, the clues in the name, mm. they haven't opposed anything. Yeah, All true. they've done... Uh, I mean, Keir Starmer is now known in in, um, political circles as Captain Hindsight. All they've done is state how, you know, had it been them, they would have locked down harder, sooner, stronger. Mm. Uh, The government didn't do enough, should have uh, restricted more, you know, earlier and so on. They've missed an open goal, quite frankly, because we all remember that a lot of voters who went Tory in 2019 were the so-called Red Wall, Mm. Labour working class voters, primarily from the north of England, Mm. who wanted to see Brexit done and done as as it had been promised. I'm not getting into Brexit, I I didn't vote for it, but that's that's by the by. Mm. Um, But that was what they wanted and and the Tories even admitted to it. They said, "We, we acknowledge that many of these voters have lent us their votes right. for this election they may well never vote tory again and we need to make sure you know at the time the message was we need to make sure that we deliver the brexit that they think they want we are we are now, running into the uh the shoals of a, of a slightly different we are no all, all i was all i was yeah. going to say then the reason for for bringing that up was simply to say that the opposition mm. could have taken one look at this seen how those working class voters will have mm. suffered under lockdowns because, mm. as I say, they can't afford to self-isolate, they can't work from home and so on, and taken a principled and informed anti-lockdown stance. Mm. Instead, all they've done is suggest, oh, we should have locked down even more. And belatedly, belatedly, the, the Liberal Democrats, all of five or eight MPs or whatever they have, are now saying they're against vaccine passports but Hmm. it's it's a position of convenience you know one of our two mps here in oxfordshire is is a liberal democrat and right up until they voted the lib dems voted against the extension of the coronavirus act that's right so after a year of this they've finally come to a, a kind of position that enough is enough but prior to that the lib dem mp here in oxfordshire has supported everything all the measures and more so We've had no opposition. Mm. The government has trampled all over our democratic institutions. They have passed endless pieces of what's called delegated legislation, regulations hanging off the Coronavirus Act, which they can pass without debate, 
without scrutiny right. and no one's no one's held them to account on it so you know as you say it's now in theory they have these well not in theory in practice they have these powers until the end of september mm. the furlough scheme it won't have escaped your listeners notice also runs until the end of september mm. i have no confidence whatsoever even even if you know to be fair i'm not really in the mood to be but to be fair they have stuck so far to the stages of this glacially slow roadmap but even if we unlock by the 21st of june i have no confidence whatsoever that come the end of september they won't be seeking an extension of these powers on the precautionary what if principle yeah um you know now that the latest fad is is variant yeah uh, back in January, when we went into this never-ending third lockdown here, Johnson made the utterly baseless assertion, which he then had to row back on because Public Health England told him off. He made the utterly baseless assertion that the so-called Kent variant uh, could be up to 30% more deadly. That, mm. of course, did not bear out in, in the figures at yeah. all. Yeah. Um, the wave that is supposedly sweeping Europe now is is the Kent variant and is not, whilst there are lots more cases, it is not affecting mortality rates. Yes, you know, more people are going into hospital, but they're not dying, mm-hmm. is the point. Yeah. Um, and uh, we have the South African variant, we have the California variant. There even genuinely was a headline the other day about the, a new variant discovered in Papua New Guinea. Sounds now, bad. Andrew Pollard, who is one of the the two leading scientists involved in the Oxford vaccine program, he said a few weeks ago, he said, we need to stop obsessing about each of these new variants as they are identified. Mm. One thing we do have in this country is, is, uh, you know, a world leading genomics program. We are part of the reason we, you know, they call it the Kent variant. It's not British. I mean, goodness knows Emmanuel Macron is calling it the British variant as though we somehow right. inflicted it on France. <laughs> yeah. We just identified it first. Right, That's right, a very right. different thing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Andrew Pollard said, we need to stop obsessing about these variants. Viruses mutate all the time. COVID yeah. has already, I think, 20,000 mutations have been documented yeah. already. Often, so, and often that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because... The more it, it uh, the more it mutates, it may become more less, infectious, yeah. but less deadly. That's a, right. a kind of age old principle of virology, which you mm-hmm. don't have to be a virologist to understand. Yeah. It's how it continues to propagate. It, yeah. it seeks out new hosts. Yeah. Um, and uh, he said, Pollard said, we've got to stop obsessing about these things. So far, not one single one of the identified variants, despite all the fear mongering, has proven capable of of escaping or some sort of defeating the vaccines that are being administered so far Mm. interestingly by the way chris witty or witless as we call him now uh in the press conference at the weekend he cited chile as a country and an example of a country that has vaccinated quite a large percentage of its population and yet still finds itself under an increasing wave of cases and so on now factually that is true i think they've vaccinated 56 percent of the chilean population so far which is pretty good going impressive yeah however 
they're not using the vaccines we're using here in Europe. They are using Sinovac, the okay. Chinese vaccine. Mm. Now, I don't know very much about Sinovac. I don't know what, if any, medical and regulatory approval process it has been through. But given that it's Chinese, you know, I'm willing to bet <laughs> that maybe without... without I'll, sort let you, of, I'll let you take this one. Yeah, yeah, without putting myself too much on the spot, I, I should, yeah. let's say... I wouldn't be surprised if the approval processes are perhaps found wanting. Let's mm. put it that way. That's a very diplomatic way of putting it. Um, Mark, this has been uh, an endlessly fascinating conversation. Um, there are, I think, many particular angles we could go into, and I really appreciate your preparation and your knowledge on the subject. And I think we've done a pretty good job of sticking to the main narrative, which I think probably I would personally describe as the government using public health as an excuse to intrude into civil liberty and day-to-day -day life. Correct. Um, in the same way that drugs policies are an extension of public health policy used to, uh, in my opinion, negative effect on, on everyday public and social life. And I think there's many different ways to, to frame that. That's certainly how I would personally see it. Yep. Um, if, yeah. I, if I may, just before we wrap up, Absolutely. Tom, there's, there's one other thing I'd like to mention now. Yes, uh, me too, but please take it. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, your listeners will be aware that, that in exact uh, precisely a month from today in fact we all have here in the uk our, our sort of our first opportunity to pass some level of judgment on this this government and its its uh, policies and it, the pr approach it's taken in the form of the local elections for mayors and, and county and city councils up and down the land mm -hmm. now i am I, i've searched my soul for for some time before deciding to do this, I never, ever wanted to get involved in politics. As, as you can hear from the last hour or so, I don't have much of a high opinion of, of those uh, elected representatives we have at the moment. However, I decided that it was really, really important. I can rail against this all I want on podcasts, on social media, in the echo, the, the sort of anti-lockdown <laughs> anti echo chambers I've found myself in. Yeah. But... That is just noise. And I decided that it's really, really important to actually make a stand. So various, as you might expect, various uh, new parties have sprung up, some sort of preaching anti-lockdown as their central message, others just kind of adopting it as one of a slew of other policies. In the end... I've decided to stand in the, the county council elections for, for the division as it's I've been finding out about local politics in the last few last few days. Yeah. It's not. No, no. Um, <laughs> I'm glad we agree. So yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm standing in the county council division in which I live for a party called the Freedom Alliance. Mm -hmm. um, again, they're new, but the Freedom Alliance, unlike some of the others, you've got Reform UK, you've got the Heritage Party, mm -hmm. but the Freedom Alliance is squarely and pretty much solely an anti-lockdown party yeah. it, it is purely focused on the ending this as a response both now and and forever in the future to whatever other threats may present themselves mm -hmm. yeah. um and uh, it as its name would suggest it focuses on the the fundamental rights and freedoms of, of people who are you know you're that you're born with yeah um, and that the government has no business taking away from you, including, it must be said, your freedom to choose medical treatments. It's not 
an anti-vax party at all. Yeah. I wouldn't have joined it if it were. Yeah. Um, but it simply says that as with anything in life, all of you should be free to choose whether or not to be vaccinated against COVID. We all are with flu. Yeah. You're, you're, well, it's not offered to people under 50, I don't think, but the over 50s are free to choose yeah. whether to be vaccinated against flu every year or not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So why is this any different? And the, the level of propaganda around get vaccinated or, or you know, you shall never be free yeah. is to you're me a is... You're a selfish, you know, Trump yeah, maniac. Exactly, yes. is, yes. is terrifying. So anyway, but that, that's by the by. The point is I'm standing for the Freedom Alliance. And if any of your listeners happen to be in Oxfordshire voting for their, their county councillors, there are several of us. Four of us are standing in different divisions in Oxfordshire. So do look out for the Freedom Alliance on the ballot paper. If where you live, you don't have the Freedom Alliance, please consider voting for, if you see any of Reform UK, the Heritage Party, um, Reclaim is another one run by Lawrence Fox in London. If you see any of those names, all of those parties to a greater or lesser extent are sort of proselytizing for the end of lockdown as uh, now and, and in the future. Um, and I hope, all I, I'll finish by saying that I hope that what you've heard gives you pause for thought and, and perhaps will help you realize that this mad disproportionate response has has got to end and, yeah. and you know we have a minor opportunity now at the ballot box to, to start fighting back against this, this creepy dystopian authoritarianism that, that nobody asked for i think that's a that's a fantastic way to sum it up um i think i don't have too much to add to that except that i hope one of the things that's come through for the conversation is that this is coming from a place to sound very cheesy a place of love and a place of humanism and a place of like of generosity and of hope for the human spirit not a, not one of you know of mean-spiritedness and and, and and callousness you know when i Correct. met you guys and spoke to you one of the animating things that i noticed was that it was a party of hope you've got a big smiley face pinned to your jacket there mate you're not going around talking about doom and gloom and suffering and years of suffering you're saying that you know there is a toll the toll has been paid let's let's walk a path towards a better future and a better existence for people it is a message of hope and of happiness and of yep. liberty and not one of doom and not one of right-wing kind of fear and, and callousness i think does that does would you agree with that assessment absolutely you would, yeah. and and uh, I, I completely would um you know it's almost like in really frankly the the incredibly short space of, of a year or just over a year people have forgotten already thanks to the endless doom-mongering messaging they've forgotten what it's like to 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 live to be human you know but there's an old uh, aside from covid we we have a there's an old cliche that, that the best kind of balance you can strike in life is to work to live rather than live to work now why is not is not the same approach taken here where we only get one shot at life all of us what i mean a refrain I've heard quite commonly is, oh, it's especially because I'm still, you know, relatively young. Oh, it's only a year. You know, you're 38. What does it matter? Mm. Well, 
I could literally, I could walk out. I mean, hopefully I won't, but I could walk out of your house right now, Tom, and, and be Please don't, hit. because the conspiracy theories in the audience would be uh, highly fueled <laughs> by you being struck down by a rogue uh, black cat immediately. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so to me, that it's not the case, and, and but it equally applies to your elderly parents or grandparents. Yeah. For them... A year, it's a year, a year is a long time for all of us. Who, who, but are for somebody, tell, who are you to tell anyone what a year is worth at the end of the day? I'm, I'm sorry precisely. to take extreme position, but... Um, uh, and yeah. so let, let it not, you know, it seems we've forgotten what it is to, to live and to be human and to, to interact with one another. Yeah. Um, and the longer this goes on, the harder it will be to remember. Exactly. And also, I would say that, that even if we follow the roadmap and even if the 21st of June marks some kind of freedom day... Mm. Your listeners should be aware that on the 1st of April this year, and I wish this were an April Fool, but it wasn't, Matt Hancock announced the creation of something called the United Kingdom Health, uh, Health Security Agency, no. UXA or something. Nothing sinister. About that. Nothing at all. Yeah. Um, I mean, the words health and security should not go together Along in the same, testing, one of my least in the same sentence. Of, of nouns thus far. Um, but he used he announced the creation of this agency and he used the quite terrifying language he said i want everybody who works for uxa to wake up in the morning with a zeal for preventing the next pandemic those were his words can you imagine just just think about that for a second and imagine what that might mean Goodness knows, we spent so much money on test and trace. We have this great big infrastructure in place now. Yeah. Does this mean that each and every year we will be tested for flu and for every other conceivable infectious virus? Right. You know, again, public health as an extension of of authoritarian. I, I reject living in a in a biosecurity state. Yes, exactly, that is not what life is about. And an, a zeal for anti-terrorism, for example. I mean, I'm sorry, I know I don't speak for you here. Uh, ended with a lot of you know, terrible negative effects for, for many, many people. Having a zeal against something bad is not necessarily de facto good, right? Can we, no. I mean, I mean it's it just, that's not how it works. That's a very uh, good way of these, putting these it. These are bad things that exist in reality. Being zealous, I mean, that's how you end up with the Spanish Inquisition or the war in Iraq is a zealotry against a negative external outcome. So uh, let's have less zeal, please, and have perhaps yep. a slightly more zeal for you know, human life and the things that make it worth living. Um, yes. Can I, sorry, one more very quick Mark, plug. You're brandishing I, a leaflet with a great deal of intent there. Please do. <laughs> yeah. um, so if any of your listeners are, are moved by this and are, are feeling the same way that, that we do and just haven't known where to look or, or yes. where to start, I would first of all direct them on a more general basis for reading to lockdownskeptics.org. Mm -hmm. But in terms of there, is, there are actually forums for meeting people in whatever your local area is mm. on there. But if any of you happen to be in Oxfordshire or even close to it, Berkshire, Buckinghamshire, any of the neighbouring counties, do have a look at www. I've got it here. Keep Oxfordshire open. That's all one word. Uh, Keep Oxfordshire open. Com. We, uh, as I say, meet regularly in Bond Square and and elsewhere. We campaign, and more to the point, I suppose, given uh, what the tenet of, of what I'm saying this, this last bit, we are kind of like a support group for each other mm. because goodness knows we need it right now. Um, and also do take a look at, uh, if you look on Facebook for Back to Normal, backtonormal.org.uk, they have produced some brilliant materials. None of it is, as I say, is conspiratorial in any way. It's mm. all 
factual, it's all out there. If you feel kind of energized by this to, to start a movement in your community, if there isn't one already, Back to Normal can help. They have leaflets, they have all sorts of things you can deliver and that you can just use as a prop to talk to people and to try to help them see that there is another way. Fantastic. Um, Mark, anything else you'd like to mention before we, before we, I think we've really, we've, yeah, we've got a bit longer than I intended, but it's all been, in my opinion, extremely fascinating. Anything else you would mention before we wrap this up? <laughs> um, I, d well, I could be here all night. I so, and um, you certainly could, yeah. I, yeah. I won't be. I, yeah. I have, uh, as is the way these days, I have another Zoom call to get to now. This man so. has a zeal, a zeal for his, uh, his mission that is admirable. Yes. yes. Um, a, a Zoom call that is nothing to do with the anti-lockdown calls, okay. by the way. Fair but anyway, right. yeah. um, so no, I won't, I won't say anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, as I say, I could talk about this for hours, but uh, I don't want to bore you or, or your listeners anymore. So uh, all I'll say then is thank you very much for, for having me and for giving me the chance to put this across. And I hope that if even one person mm. listens to this and has their mind changed, that is a start. That is a, a victory. And that's all we can hope for. Fantastic. Thank you very, very much. Much, much appreciated. Guys, thank you very much for listening uh, to the show today. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Heretic Show. You can find us on YouTube. Uh, we will put, I think for this episode, the audio on YouTube with an image as per Mark's suggestion. He immediately arrived and improved the show by 20%, which was very <laughs> impressive. So we're going to try and have all the content available on YouTube, Instagram, all of that good stuff. And we'll be back in uh, next week for more content. One more time, I'd like to thank you very much, Mark. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you, Tom, for having me. It's been a pleasure. a pleasure. Guys, see you later. Thank you very much. That is your heretics. Have a lovely evening. Goodbye. <laughs>